0: You know, I don't know what you uh, think about the busyness of Christmas. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's overbearing. There's one thing in the life of a minister or a pastor that you may not realize happens, but it's a fun thing, and that is people want to get married around Christmas. Last year, we had young Bryn Clutter that wanted to be married, and she was around this time. And then today, Dr. Gillis's daughter, Janet Scott Gillis' daughter, uh, wanted to be married, and I was glad to do it. And I wanted to torment them a little bit. And uh, Jim Carpenter always helps me torment people. And he gave me this uh, one line that I could ask questions in marriage of what kids think about marriage and what it's all about. And so they interviewed these children, age 7 to 9. And I thought I would just share it with you since I've just come from a wedding. The question number one is, how do you decide who to marry? That's kind of an important question. One little boy, Alan, age 10, said, well you have to find someone that likes the same stuff that you do. Like if you like sports, she needs to like that you like sports and that she will keep the chips and dip a-coming along the way. And then Kristen, age 10, said, nobody really knows for sure who they're going to marry until they grow up. And then, then once they grow up, God decides it for them. And then you get to find out sooner or later who you're stuck with. And then the question, what is the right age to get married? Everyone wants to know that. Camille, age 10, says 23 is the best age because by then you've known that person forever and you should get married. And Freddie, maybe the little smart cracker in the whole bunch, age six, said, No age is good to get married at. You've got to be a fool to want to get married. So <laughs> there you go. And then the question, how can a stranger in a crowd tell if two people are married? And Derek, age eight, said, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids or not. <laughs> to the question, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, says, oh, neither one of them want any more kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked Martin's answer to the question, what do most people do on a date? He said, well, usually on the first date, they tell enough lies to each other to get the other person interested enough to come out on a second date. Maybe that's true. But uh, the question, what would you do if that first date was going sour? Craig H9 said, if it's going sour, I'd run home and play dead. The next day, I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me and all the dead columns they have. Uh, this is the answer, ladies. Listen up. When is the right time that it's okay to kiss someone? Pam H7 said, when they're rich. That's the right time. <laughs> and then the last one, and I'll move on. why you're here how how would you make a marriage work and ricky age 10 says tell your wife she's pretty even if she looks like a truck and that was his answer so these are great marriage tips and we don't charge for that counseling but there it is for you so let me ask you this question if i were to ask you what word it is that we hear the most around christmas time what do you think it would be would it be the word peace joy good tidings Would it be the phrase Merry Christmas? That's what I thought it would be. But someone that had a lot of time and money, a university, did a study on the most used word around Christmas time, And believe it or not, that word is the word gift. And maybe it's true. Because we are frantically, even when in the last day or so we've had level three um, snow emergencies in central Ohio, people have been frantically going to the mall trying to find the right gift for the right person that they had not gotten yet. There'll be a number of young people in this room tonight that will have insomnia this evening when they go home. They can hardly wait to wake up tomorrow morning wondering what's in those presents under the tree. Somebody said that Christmas is a time when we forget the past, we forget about the future, and we just focus on the present. Well, where does that idea come from of focusing on the present? And we all like to receive presents. Maybe it's because the first present of significance that was ever given to mankind was the present that God in heaven bestowed upon this earth when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. In fact, I submit for your thinking this evening that Jesus Christ was the original gift, that God wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger, that we could know this indescribable gift. And those are not just words. In the letter of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was writing about the gift. And he said in verse 15, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what kind of Christmas gift has God given us? I want us to think about that in our theme for a few moments this evening. Inside your bulletin, if you received one, there's a sermon outline, a message outline that you could possibly share as a devotion with your family even tomorrow. What is the kind of gift that God gives us? There are at least three phases to the gift that God gives us. The first one I would like you to jot down is the fact that God's greatest Christmas gift to you is personal. And that really means something to us, doesn't it? When someone cares enough to give you a personal gift, after all, have you ever been impressed with an impersonal gift? Do you, like I, get letters from charities that we support, a Christmas letter, and inside it you open it up and there's a perforated edge, you can tear it off, and there's a Bible bookmark there? Thank you very much. I know why they're doing it, but it's very impersonal. It doesn't mean so much. It doesn't really warm your heart because we like to get gifts that are personal. God's ultimate gift is found in a Bible verse that you know that's written on the front of your bulletin and on the inside at the top, and that is the most famous verse in the world, John 3.16. If you're a football watcher of NFL games, you remember a number of years ago that there was a gentleman that somehow always managed to be positioned in front of the cameras when they would do a shot and it would show his sign. It said John 3.16. Many of you may not know that he was originally from Westerville, Ohio. And he would buy tickets and scan, and scan things out in a way that he could do that. But that verse that's on top of your outline and it's on the screen is the most memorized, the most well-known verse in all of the Bible. And I would like you to join me and let's say it out loud together. Ready? Go. Go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God's Christmas gift to us is not just a box. It's not just the swaddling clothes. It's not just the manger, but it was a person. It is a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God could have sent anything or anyone. He could have sent a messenger. If you study the 39 books of the Old Testament, you can find repeatedly that God would send human messengers and celestial messengers to take messages to people. He could have sent an angel. He could have sent all kinds of things. But God's something like Hallmark cards. He cares enough to send the very best. And so he sent us the Lord Jesus Christ. He came himself. He came with us to be with us. And we use the word in the New Testament, Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus came as a gift from God to this planet and to us, it was God being with us. And today, Noah read about it in the scripture. The scripture says, today in the city of David, a savior has been born. And not just born, but he's been born for you personally. He's Christ the Lord. So God so loved this world, he cared so much, at Christmas, God is saying, I care about you. And tonight, I wish you could internalize that. If somehow you could separate whoever you came to church with, if you could almost ignore me being here, and just focus on the fact that God, from his word and through his spirit, wants to speak to you. And the main message he wants you to know is that he cares about you. If you're an elementary school boy like this young man sitting over here, God cares about you and your education and your future. If you're an aged saint that's in this room and you don't know what tomorrow will hold, you need to know that God cares about you. If you're a struggling parent wondering how you're ever going to get through this phase of life, you need to know that God personally cares about what you're going through in your life. And that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came personally and the greatest celebration is that he gave us God gave us this personal gift and then the second thing I'd like you to jot down about the greatest gift is that it's not only personal but it's priceless what kind of price could you put on a relationship with Jesus Christ one of the neatest things about a relationship with Christ is this at the foot of the cross of Calvary the ground is even whether you're rich or poor or black or white Regardless of your socioeconomic background, everyone can have that relationship, whether whatever continent of the seven continents you live in, if it's a third world country or a number one country in the world, you can have that personal relationship with Christ, and you can't put a price on it. It's priceless. I mean, I want you to look at the kind of gift that God gave us. In Ephesians 5.2, notice on the screen, it says, Christ loved us. And gave his life for us, as the choir sang about, as sacrifice that pleases God. Now, that's a real sacrifice. He loved us enough to die for us. You heard about the guy that told his wife, said, honey, I love you so much, I'd die for you. She said, you always say that, but you'll never do it. You know, but Jesus did it. He cared enough about you that he went to the cross for us. In 2 Corinthians, verse eight and nine, it says, Jesus Christ in heaven was rich, yet he became poor for your sakes, for your sake. That's what the Bible says. In other words, what it's saying is that Jesus left so much glory in order to come from heaven down to this earth. He came because he cared about us so very much. So God has a Christmas gift for you. First of all, it's personal. Secondly, it's priceless. And then this third thing is where I want to spend the rest of the few minutes we have together, and that is that this supreme gift that God gave us is practical. There's nothing any worse in the world to have a gift, and it's not practical. Has anyone ever given you a gift, and you look at it and say, oh, that is nice. You don't have a clue what it does, where it came from, but you will not get rid of it for years because your mother-in-law gave it to you. And when she comes over next time, she'll want to know that you still have it. Well, you need to know that God has a gift for you this Christmas that is extremely practical. It's something you really need. It's something that you can use today. It's something that you can put to use in your life in a practice every single day. A gift can be priceless and a gift can be personal, but it's not always practical. Yet the Bible tells us that the gift of Jesus that God gave us, is very practical. It was what we need. Here's what Jesus said to see how practical it is. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and everyone in this room has life, but not everyone has the rest of that sentence, and have it to its fullest. Not just in existence, not just going through the phase from the cradle to the grave, and going to work and existing, but have a full life, God says, I've come that you may have life. And the truth is, many people don't know how to live. Oh, we, we know how, how to live by existing. We get that and go through that all the time. Sometimes we just endure life. Everybody knows what we've gone through, learning how to grow up and go to work and get a job and come home and watch TV and go to bed. But guys, somewhere deep down in your heart, you know, there's got to be more to life than that. There has to be more than just growing up and making money and retiring and dying. What's it all about? Jesus said, I've come to give you that existence, that life, but also an abundant life. Notice what he did not say. Jesus did not say that I've come to give you religion. In fact, I believe we serve a God who hates religion. Religion is man's effort at getting to God. Jesus Christ is God's successful move to have a relationship with each one of us. Not religion, but a relationship. And Jesus came to teach you how to really live the way that God intends you to live. And then not only teach you, but to give you the power that you're able to do it. Because of ourselves, I would not count on, as Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, I wouldn't give you the best two minutes of my life being good enough to get me into heaven with God. But God not only loves us, he not only gives us the gift of eternal life through Jesus, he gives us the power to live the life after we receive him. In fact, on the bottom of your outline, I wish I would have written it out better, but I wasn't going this way when I started. There are six things that I believe the Lord gives us to to be able to live out this gift. And and they're all going to start with the letter P because that's what preachers do. And and you can just write down the word if you would like, but uh, I didn't space them. First of all the Christmas God wants to give you the Christmas gift God wants to give you is a life of purpose. If you'll just write the word purpose down right there. And we need purpose because there's so many people that do not how not know how to live. I've been pastoring in this Westerville community for 43 and a half years now. And over those four-plus decades, it's amazing to me how many young people will graduate from high school or college. And when I ask the question, what are you going to do, I hear this, Pastor Frank, I'm going to go find myself. I've never met a kid that's found themselves by taking off. They come back, and I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to get a job till I find myself. That's good. I'm glad you're doing that this time. It doesn't seem like there's any purpose, no meaning. In central Ohio, it's a, we live in a very blessed place. We're like in the warm part of a womb of our nation where industry is good and housing is continuing to be developed. And we have a whole lot in this area, many, many people that live here. They have much to live on, but very little to live for. There's nothing significant in their life. There's no purpose. And deep down, you may be here this evening. And though I want you to be joyous this Christmas season, it's a good time for introspection, of asking yourself, what is the significance? What is the purpose of my life? Well, I want you to know God has a purpose. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah gave us in chapter 29 and verse 11, these words, God speaking. The plans I have for you, the Lord says, are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I want you to know brothers and sisters, that's the kind of life God wants for every one of us. Regardless of where you are at on the socio-economic scale, God wants to prosper you. Prospering does not always mean money in the bank, a Mercedes in the car, and a chicken in every pot. Sometimes that prospering comes to you with a peace that passes all understanding to get you through that physical difficulty, that relational difficulty, that emotional challenge you're having that spiritual depth walk that you're wanting to go on. He gives us a hope and a future. And the second thing that he wants to give us is is power in our lives to do that, to be able to live it. That's a Christmas gift, a life of power. Notice what it says in Philippians 4.13. This is a very familiar verse. Paul said, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Now look at it Again. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. That almost seems contradictory to the life that we live because we all know that life can wear you down. How many of you would agree with that? Every preschool mom in this room probably had her hand up right there. You go from one crisis to the next, one problem to the next. And it gets tiring and fatiguing. And it is possible that you can get to the point where you're sick and tired of just being sick and tired. How, how do we get the power to go on? Have you ever noticed how many books are on the market today that deal with the word power? You remember the cartoon, The Power Rangers? It was so popular. Best-selling books. They want to tell us how to, how to get it and, and, and how to keep it. We dress for power, we eat for power, we shower for power. You know, every kind of power that you can get, we do it. We want power in our lives. So this week in preparing for this message, I looked on Amazon to see what book titles really had to do with power. And there was one book called just Power. That was the title of the entire book. And then there was The Power of Habit. And then there was The Power of Failure. And then the old book from six decades ago, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. And another book, Power Now. And to spare you from me going through the entire list, if I understood Amazon correctly, there are over 70,000 volumes in print that contain the word power in the title somewhere. And the truth is we need power. You say, Frank, what do I need power for? Well, number one, if you've ever had something in your life that you can't overcome you need power to change power to overcome power to deal with and burrow your way through that difficulty you know all those things you'd like to change by yourself but you can't that's why you need an extra power that the Bible calls having God in your life and the Holy Spirit working with him and working in you it's more than willpower trust me when I say this it is God's power Paul says this, six verses that we'll look at this evening. He says in verse 13, I have the strength to face all conditions. How are you doing it, Paul? By the power that Christ gives me. Guys, it's a gift. He gives it to you. It's a power that you can't have contained on your own. The Lord gives you a life of purpose and a life of power. And then the third thing that I want you to see that he gives us is a life of pardon. Have you ever felt like you'd just like to be pardoned? You could forget or be forgiven for some of the mistakes we've made in life, for some of the difficult things and stupid things that we've done. The truth is every person in this room with an IQ over three has some regrets in our life that we wish we didn't have to live with. None of us is perfect. The Bible says, in fact, in Romans 3, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't you just wish there were some things in your past that you could forget and let go of and be forgiven? Well, good news for you this evening. The Bible says that can happen in every situation. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and can be depended on to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. He says He will forgive us, and He says that He will cleanse us. And not only does God give us that kind of pardon, but the next P I would like you to write down is that God wants to give you a life of peace. Do you ever feel like that chipmunk or squirrel in the cage that's going boogity, 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 just going over and over and over, and you're moving 100 miles an hour and you're not going anywhere at all, and it just doesn't seem like you have any peace? Jesus spoke of it in John's gospel just before he died on the cross. Jesus said, I'm leaving you guys with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. The peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. I mean, God's gift of Christmas to you this year is filled with peace. Peace of mind. And and it seems at this time of year, it's so easy to get uptight. In-laws, outlaws, who do you buy for? Who are you not able to buy for? The scheduling of being with everyone that you want to be with. There are so many deadlines and things that you're trying to meet, the seasonal stress. And in the midst of that, Jesus would have the audacity to say, I've come to give you peace. In the Bible, the Word of God talks about three kinds of peace. First and foremost, there is something called spiritual peace. Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 5. That's called the peace with God. He says this, notice. He said, we have peace with God. The only way it can happen is through our Lord Jesus Christ. We get right with God by relating to Jesus. We have peace with God. And when we have the peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. And the peace of God is what lets you sleep at night. The peace of God is where you can turn off the horrors of the news broadcast and turn it off and know that there is a figure working behind the scenes. Though mankind is trying to destroy everything that you count as being valuable and holy, you have to know that there is a God in heaven that is working all of that, and he can give you emotional peace regardless of what you're going through. I mean, no matter what issue, regardless of what tragedy, no matter what stress there is in your life, There's a spiritual peace and an emotional peace that passes all understanding, and I've seen it in people's lives when they're going through things, and you say, how in the world are you doing this? And for me to either hear them say or see it clearly, it's the peace of God, listen to this, in the midst of the storm. To know that God is there, the storm, yes, is there, but God is with me through all of that. And then we have In addition to the spiritual peace and the emotional peace a relational peace and relational peace is how you get along with one another you know the old adage don't you to live above with saints we love that will be such glory but to stay here below with people we know that's another story it's very difficult sometimes to have that healthy relationship with people that are all around us and have that harmony Remember the Bible says the angels came on earth and they sang when Jesus was born. Listen to the words, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He's talking about getting along with other people. When you have the peace of God and the peace with God, you can learn to have peace with men. And I'm not saying that you will always be able to have a good, healthy relationship, but I am telling you this, your responsibility as a Christian, the Bible says, as much as lieth within you, live at peace with all men. He's saying regardless of your source of stress, God can help you with it. So we have a life of purpose, a life of power, a life of pardon, a life of peace. And then I'd like you to write this down because this is what you came to hear, a life of provision that God is going to take care of you. God will take care of you. It's not enough for a baby to be born. That baby needs to be nurtured and raised and cared for. It's not enough to have an automobile. That automobile needs to be nurtured with gas and oil so it will run. It's not enough for a flower seed to be planted. That flower will need sunshine and water along the way. And as a Christian, there are things that you will need in your life when you come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God promises he will give us all of those things. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, and I'm going to say it's my favorite verse, but I would say that about every verse I've read to you this evening. Just six verses down from the last one we looked at, Paul says, and God will meet some of your needs. Right? Wrong. It says, and God will meet... All of your needs according to his riches, not our riches. This is like a cashier's check to the bank of heaven. Our God shall meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He will do that. That's a money back guarantee. God said, I will take care of you. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8 He said, If God loved us enough to send Jesus, and he did, certainly he loves us enough to take care of our other needs. That's a life of provision. And then finally, I want you to see the last thing that God gives us that will outlast any Christmas gift that you will get from earth this week. And that is a life of permanence. Have you ever noticed how many gifts they just don't last? As I said, sometimes kids will open them up in the morning. They'll be destroyed by lunch. And by New Year's Day, you don't even think that they're going to make it. But when God gives a gift, it lasts and it lasts. It's reliable. It's consistent. It's consistent. And it's permanent. And I can prove that with one other verse. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's forever. Sometimes I struggle for people who think that God will break off this relationship. When you come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me my sins. There is not one place in the Bible where anyone has ever been able to be saved or become a Christian two times. It's eternal life. On your good days and on your bad days, Jesus is still there and God's still your father and the Holy Spirit is still wooing and drawing you. That's what I call a gift that lasts, eternal life. What Paul was talking about here when he said eternal life, just so you'll know, this is God's 401K. This is his retirement plan. He's talking about heaven. And the reason that's important to you, I want to be honest with you. I want to be frank with you. That's my name. I want to be so honest with you. And you look good. Your stud muffins all love you. But you're not going to live long. If you live 70 or 80 or 90, even if you make it to 100 to get on the Smucker's Jelly commercial on the Today Show, that's not very long. By comparison, watch this. If you live to be 100 years old, look over in that corner and just make it to the first row of lights. That represents 100 years. And they are good years, aren't they? Don't you thank God? Everybody says, I'm ready to go to heaven. But really, when I talk to them, they don't want to go today. We love this earth. We love this life that God has given us. But the time will come. It is appointed unto every person, Hebrews 9.27 says, to die. Then you face the rest of the auditorium. From that first row of lights all the way over represents eternity. And would you not agree with me? That we will live on the other side of eternity a whole lot longer than we'll live on this side of eternity. And the decision that's made where we will spend eternity is made while we are here. By the decision we made to either accept the gift or reject the gift. And those things are just wrapped up, the things that I've talked about. A life of peace and pardon. A life of purpose and power. A life of permanence and provision that God gives us. And it's all wrapped up inside of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a gift and you open it and there's another gift inside of that gift? How many of that's happened to? Raise your hand. A gift within a gift. I read a story about a guy, an employer, that wanted to bless one of his employees. And so he gave him a very nice, expensive set of gloves. And the guy employee thanked him and he took the gloves home because it wasn't really that cold enough to wear them. And he put them on the shelf, and he didn't need them for about two, se- two seasons. But then that second season, it got really cold, and he went to get the gloves and put them on, and his fingers wouldn't go in. Because in the hole, in the cavity of all 10 holes in those gloves, that employer had had the audacity to put $50 bills wrapped up in the finger holes. And so not only did he have a pair of gloves that he didn't think he would ever wear, had he opened it up... There were were all of those holes filled with $50 bills that he could have had at that time. And inside of our lives, the Lord not only wants to give us the gift of Jesus, but all the things that I've talked about too. And when you come to Jesus Christ and those of you that have come to Christ, you know what I'm saying is true. There's such grace and joy that we get a gift within a gift. All of these things, the peace and the purpose, and we get it all. Uh, can you imagine, though, someone receiving or being offered a very expensive gift and never opening it? And yet isn't it possible that you've been coming to Genoa or going to another church on Christmas year after year after year? And I promise you, unless it was an apostate church, you were offered the gift of Jesus Christ. And you keep saying, well, not now. Maybe that's for weak people. Maybe that's for someone else. But also, again, deep down in your heart, you know, Lord, is that message for me? Is this the time that I should open the gift and receive Jesus Christ? And you can only do that as God draws you to do it. But as he draws you and you accept him, you not only get Jesus, which is the most important thing on this planet, but you get many other things inside the finger holes. You get forgiveness of every bad thing you've ever done. You get the promise of eternal life. You get the promise of support while you're here. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you get the glorious promise of heaven. And that may be pie in the sky in your thinking because we're so caught up in this world. But remember, you're going to spend more time on this side of eternity than you will on that side of eternity. And so this evening, I want to tell you something that may sound harsh. But you cannot really enjoy Christmas without Christ. The true meaning of Christmas is all about Jesus Christ, not talking about religion, talking about a relationship to God. And to receive that relationship in your heart, maybe you would just say, Lord, I realize maybe today for the first time that you came to earth. And I know I don't understand at all how Jesus went from a baby and grew up and was willing to let men put spear in his side, spit in his face, pull the whiskers from his beard. All because of me. All because of those that do not know that relationship that they can have. And yet tonight the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you. And if that's the case, you do not need an organ playing in the background to respond to Christ. You respond in your heart. And maybe right where you're sitting right now, if you've never done this before, you would pray a prayer. Something like this. In your own words, in your heart to God. But maybe you would say, oh, Lord. Tonight, I recognize for the first time perhaps, or you've been drawing me for a while, but tonight I realize that I need a relationship with you. As much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And Lord, would you make me the person you want me to be? I promise you, if you'll follow the Lord in that area, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You'll have the gift of purpose and of power and of pardon and peace and provision and permanence all wrapped up in one container through Jesus Christ. Have you prayed that kind of prayer and meant it from the sincerity of your heart? And it has to be sincere. That's why Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.